Welcome to the book club. I'm Zara and today I'm joined by my wonderful co-host Camille and we're also joined by author Rika Aoki. Welcome Rika. Hello. Hi Zara. Hi Camille. It's really great to be here and to be part of this really cool podcast. So you've just published Lightroom and Common Stars. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Wow, that's a lovely cover. So I'm going to start mm-hmm. by asking you about the title. Did you know uh-huh. did you have the title before you started writing or did the title come about after or during the book? Oh my god, so this is embarrassing. I didn't so I didn't write the title. So what ended up happening was this book I sometimes titles come to me and sometimes they don't and I'm not very good at titles. I, I I write the inside of the book. It's hard for me to put the wrapper on it. And um, so I was writing it. It was under a lot of different things going on. And uh, my editor over at Tor, Lindsay and I kind of broke down and worked on titles. And she said, can you give me maybe five, 10 titles? And I did my best I thought about it and I, I really thought you know hard about this and I gave her that list and then a couple of days later she goes okay well I have some suggestions to <laughs> and um the and then light from uncommon stars we eventually uh worked on that together and um when I first read it and I first thought about it I uh, thought to myself well, we all agree. But then as I was working with it, I realized that, yeah, this is a really nice title. It says a lot about the book. Um, this book covers so much ground that perhaps I needed a little bit of perspective from the outside to sort of see uh, see the forest and not all the trees. So that's, that is what happened. We have Light from Uncommon Stars and then... Um, do you mind if I go a little bit into the cover of the of book? Of course, go ahead. So I'm really proud of the cover. Again, I was asked uh, by by Lindsay and the rest of the people at Tor, do you have any, uh, it's your first novel with us. Do you have any ideas what you want to do the cover? And by that time, I was smart. I said, of course I do, but you're not going to hear any of them. Because I don't want the cover to be look like it, you know, a cover to be look like it was to look like it was designed by a novelist. I mean, I'm a word girl, and let's, you know, the visual people. All I want is for them to love the book and to give a little bit of their soul to the cover, uh, which is in keeping, of course, with the title. And we all had a laugh. But what I really kind of meant by that was I wanted somebody just to put their art into my book and so when I showed this it's almost a collaboration and so the artists who came up with this that we call we call them space koi came up with this you know koi in space which I would never have come up with ever because I don't work that way and yet every character in this book has felt this way before and there's also just going to get into sort of minutia with this book. There's also a hidden meaning in that koi that I'm not even sure that um, my designer noticed at first, but we, but we chatted. It was funny. That koi is mixed race. 
that koi is not a traditional Japanese koi. That is, that is literally uh, a fantail. And fantail kois are actually the result of hybridization between Japanese koi and koi from Southeast Asia that came together. And they did that. And actually, they have a hard time being accepted at traditional koi competitions. And so I really love my space koi. And I like the title. I love the title, too. And um, I guess that just shows you just uh, how um, when, when you bring a book out, uh, the story might be mine, but gosh, so many people help. So many people help, and I'm so grateful. It's like a village. It's come out beautifully, I think. It's, uh, you know, I've had books coming out in, I've had books out from small presses, and I love small presses, and uh, I wanted to love this process differently, and I do. <clears throat> I don't have a question. Mm. I want you to answer the question you've never been asked but always wanted to answer. So let me tell you something that um, is, there are many ways to answer this question. So let me tell you one that I don't get asked very often. And I really love to be able to talk about it. I, um, I noticed that people are very concerned with the different genres and they're also, con and, and also there's a lot of people really appreciating that there is transgender representation, queer representation, queer POC representation, and all of this I really put in. But what I also put in, and I think one of the, uh, one of the things that I told myself when I wrote, you know, when, when I write a novel, even with my next novel, I have things that I, I keep pinned so I never lose sight of what I want to do. And part of what I wanted to do in this book was uh, as I get older, I wanted to write uh, a love letter from Generation X onward. This is who we are. This is what we did. And this is what we give to you. Um, you know, being in, being in Generation X, I don't really uh, ascribe to so much of, you know, the prescriptive nature of these generations, but the stereotype is we kind of didn't have much you know we we you know we're a small generation we kind of are a little on the cynical side you know and all that sort of thing but um i find it so many you know in my work and everything um, i had to shrink to become a seed and I, I we one realizes i grew up in the time of uh you know the other pandemic right i grew up in the time of aids and the the after effects of that and it was very very difficult to hope it was very difficult to dream you know we realized that we weren't going to have the jobs and the houses and all the and not even the in, in, in this country not even the health care that our predecessors had I, and um but that didn't mean we didn't stop dreaming and loving and so when i had a chance to write this book uh and this you know i uh, wanted because i was with tor and tor is about dreams and tor is about fantasies i couldn't uh, it was already a little bit worn out the, the dream circuit in me was a little bit worn out but i could say i love you to the next generation and so there's a lot of motherhood that I wanted to put here. You might notice that almost every one of the young characters has an older pair going through. 
And I wanted to show the different ways. Also, as a trans woman, mothering means something completely different because we're just not set up for a lot of the traditional definitions of mothering. But that doesn't mean... I don't think... I don't think that means we're incapable of it. So with this book, um, it really did feel in many ways like I was able to unpack my hopes and give them all to you. And then at the end, without, without kind of spoiling the book, I gave some of the other characters something to hope for that I hope maybe one day I might have in my own life. You have three really strong voices in the book. So you've got Katrina, you've got Shizuka, and you've got Lan. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Whose voice came to you first? Definitely, definitely Shizuka's voice. Because, again, I'm a teacher. And, you know, just kind of, I was... Uh, when I first started writing this book, I was in a down period in my life. There had been things, you know, personal things that had been going on as well as artistic things that had been going on. And I was wondering why was I even doing this? You know, the sad thing was it didn't occur to me, stop doing this because I'm just crazy. You know, as, as writers, we'll be writers. We, we will write you know, even if it makes absolutely no sense. And it was at that absolutely no sense time. And, you know, so I, I'm I'm working on this and t- tired. Oh, my God, so tired. I, and, you know, there was even a time where I was thinking, do I even go on living? And then I, of course, remembered um, how sad we are when anybody in our trans community goes and thought, eh, let's not do that. That would not be good for everybody. Let's just keep moving. And... Uh, so the so that fatigue was there, and yet it was that I knew that there was something I wanted to say. There was something that that that's there are stories that still needed to be said. I had I really didn't feel I was, and I still don't feel that I'm close to telling everything that I can tell. There's something still out there, and that was pretty simple to translate into into Katrina. Katrina's character, you know, in terms of being called evil things and the queen of hell, you know, you just have to open your ears up as a trans woman and you're going to hear worse. So that part was pretty simple. Was Katrina's story arc difficult to write because she goes through a lot of ups and downs? Here's the interesting thing. I, uh, well, I, it interests me. I don't know. If it, I hope it interests some of you listening out here what I'm saying. Okay. But, um, no. What a lot of people, I wrote a lot of Katrina's story flat. In other words, I didn't, I didn't pump up the bass. I just mixed it and I just wrote what I have been through myself or what I've seen other people go through. And then I realized in doing that, that would probably be a little bit much for readers who aren't part of the culture. So I pulled it back. And so just to the point where, you know, it's like, for example, um, you, if I go into, um, say, you know, really, uh, 
really family run Thai restaurant and everybody notices I'm Japanese, even if I order hot, they're not going to give me hot because they know I'm Japanese and I can't take it. They will give me mild and I will think it's hot and nobody cares and everyone's happy. Uh, and, and so that's the same way I was dealing with a lot of the transphobia stuff where I wanted to give you the experience, but I realized that if I gave you what I've known, it would be too much. And it would sound like I was doing, uh, you know, trauma porn because it would lose its storytelling uh, capabilities and it would just be something you would stop and look at look at the dumpster fire because a lot of transphobia, the illogic behind it and the hatred behind it, it's just a spectacle because it's violent and it makes no sense. So my challenge was when I was writing all of these, um, these things, Zara, was to always um, keep the story I had to tell in mind, but also to be um, considerate to my reader and, and understand that they're not here to, um, I'd like to incorporate some education, but, they're, but people who buy a book from Tor and want a story, um, me, the education that I want to give them and the messages I want to tell always have to work with the fact that they are doing me profound favor by taking some of their life and devoting it to reading my words. I was wondering when I was reading the book, most of the character in the setting is a uh, part of Asian community uh, from different culture. Mm-hmm. But the main character, one of the main characters, was dubbed the Queen of Hell. Mm-hmm. Was it a reference to Christian Hell, or is it, pardon my ignorance, across many religions, the same type of terminology or close to that everyone or the other can relate to? It is the Christian Hell. And it is the Christian Hell because of the Western music that has been playing with the violin. And because it is the transaction that people of all cultures make to access Mozart, to access Beethoven, to access um, you know, Bartok, to access all of these characters who are uh, all of these composers, all of this music is so firmly tied within the Western Christian tradition that in order to play this stuff, you start to develop the terminology. That doesn't come without penalty, and that doesn't come without some dispossession. And that's why I wanted to write it that way. And so, like, for example, at the very, very end, you know, where um, Lan, and now we're going to go into a moderate spoiler, you know, you know, Lan was saying, um, you know, that was just a tribal spirit on a rock somewhere over there and has nothing to do with the rest of the universe. That was a very important line for me, or a very important sentiment that... uh, you know, you maybe have been called, you know, the queen of hell back there. But, you know, when, you know, when I was taking, um, when I was taking German class, I had this name, you know, it's, it's basically something that one might have thought was universal. And then you pull away and you just realize, nah, we're good. Does that answer your question? Okay. Very, very good. Uh, thank you. It was well. It was fascinating. 
Oh, thank you. I'm glad I was able to put some of that in. Uh, whenever you, whenever one writes a novel, I, I mean, whenever I write a novel, I can't speak for other people. Uh, there's the it, one has to balance the urge to tell you this real the story that I, I want to tell all of you, but also then there's thing on the side that's really really neat, and I want to show that to everyone too because I think you'd like it too. But then come on, girl, back to the story. What scene in the book are you most proud of? So, the scene that there's two scenes that I really enjoyed writing, and they they're very very minor scenes. The first scene was I think there's three scenes. Okay, so the first scene is when at breakfast when uh, Shirley and Katrina are arguing, and then you know, and then Shirley is talking about the worms in the eggs and. Then, you know, Shizuka comes down and does this whole sort of very wise explanation. And then it's back to the worms and the eggs, you know. And I, I thought to myself, yeah, I got that one. Because I wanted to show that there's, there, you know, there is deep and there is wise, but the chicken had worms. And so let's not, and, and that makes for actually better eggs, even though it might gross you out. So let's go back to the original problem that we didn't solve, you know. Um, the other... Uh, things that I liked, you know, and, you know, sort of even after that, where, where Lan shows up in a uniform and it makes uh, Shizuka blush and, you know, and then, um, you know, it's like, oh, you're blushing. No, I'm not. You know, that kind of, Katrina goes, you're blushing. And uh, Shizuka goes, no, I'm not. And I thought, that's how you develop a relationship. I was just watching that, that, that dialogue could not have happened early in the book and I was just really really happy watching the characters working with each other and then um, finally a couple other things just uh, who when Katrina is on stage outdoors at the first time she plays for everybody and she's freaking out you know the person who says she's a girl you dipshit happens to be her rival you know which kind of shows that, you know, a lot of times people, even weird people, even people who are in some ways uh, nobody that you would ever expect to help you will sometimes help you. This is the weird thing about being trans. Actually, I, I shouldn't call. I, I was blending two things uh, together there. I mean, um, the the weirdness is in the fact that we expect help to come from certain places and we don't get it and then we don't expect help to come from other places and we do so things like that you know it, it's the little touch points where um i took what have, what might have been a pretty solid story but i was able to sort of add something extra to it that i can write and picture you know, if the reader catches this, you know, and, and, and they're drinking hot chocolate, they might spill some on the keyboard now. Yay. You know, and, and we do it that way. So when I'm writing, I'm always kind of thinking about, um, this is why I even like the concept of Easter eggs, because there's always, to me, this little side sort of Twitter that's going on in the background, you know, uh, that, um, you know, yeah, there's this little thing I'm putting in for you. Here's this other little thing. Here's this other little thing. There are many... Uh story arc uh, minor major why did you choose to incorporate so much story arc and 
I wish I could read more about La Maestra. <laughs> okay. So, the first thing is, um, because I wanted to accurately portray the POC queer experience that I grew up with and the people who I grew up with who were mashups of the past and, and, and a very POC culture and then came to school and were this way, you know, I have seen and we have all seen and we all have been in situations where we've had to change genres immediately. You know, I'm talking to my friends at Cornell in graduate school and then my auntie's on the line, you know, it's like, okay, you know, in one, in one realm, I'm being very analytical, very scholarly and in the other realm, we're not. And uh, when it comes to people who are uh, immigrants, there's always that your, your culture in one place and your culture in another. And, um, and I think that I wanted to bring in fantasy and I wanted to bring in um, science and technology in that same way. But there's also something else going on, Camille. You know, it's like, as I, as I create music, I play sheet music, I know music theory. You know, it's like, great, I, I'm not a violinist, I'm a pianist, okay? And so, you know, I know the mathematics, but I also know that mathematics alone don't do it. There has to be a very deep, um, emotional, intuitive feel for things. So in some ways, this book in, in, in some ways was like my performance for you. And I wanted to blend the two things. If you look, for example, at the, um, at the table of contents, the table of contents in this book is program. And that could either be a computer program or it can be a music program. And this is what's going on. The way I'd love my readers to understand is I'm giving you a recital. And these are every these are the names of every movement in the play. And I was really thinking of that as I worked that through. So you're going to have just like in uh, the just like in the Bartok piece, you're going to have, you know, different sections with different peels, you know. There's going to be, you know, adagio. There's going to be acetato. There's going to be there's going to be presto. There's going to be things that are going on. I wanted to do that with this book. Oh wait, wait! I also wanted to talk to you about. Uh, we had the other question about la maestra. What do you want to talk about there? What do you want me to chit chat about with you with it? I just want you to tell me there will, will be a standalone or something about la maestra because I so love her. I love her too. He was she. Okay, first off, let me tell you that she's inspired by my hairdresser, uh, Lucia. And uh, and Lucia was somebody who had, unfortunately, because of COVID, she had lost her place. But, you know, how she fought and how she could make everything that way. So, there, you know, Lucia almost became, the Mattia family almost became a main character. in And, and, and in fact... There were some versions, earlier versions, where it was a main character. But what I wanted to do, and I think, Camille, where we might go with this, is there's a, a, a strange immorality to the Mattia family because they're so concerned with their the perpetuation of their technique and their violin and their skill. They can do many good things as, as music does good things in this world. But 
that um, single-minded determination to protect this tradition isn't good for them. And uh, maybe one day they'll find out. You know, there's a couple things that I want to do. Eventually, what I'd like to do, uh, I, I do have unfinished business with 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 the Matia family, and I'm hoping if uh, if Tor is willing that I'll be able to work that in just a little bit here and there as we go forward. You know, the other one that I want to do is I want to have you know the Astrid's cookbook, you know, and maybe a little Christmas story turned in, like how she makes oh. Christmas with bitter melon or something. Oh, oh please. Yes. yes. So two of the biggest themes in the book is music and food. Both play big parts in your life. I think so. Yeah, I you know, I'm I was I put something on Twitter when out during Thanksgiving. It's like, yeah, you know, shout out to the people who have more fun making food than they do eating it. You know, I although I really love my food, I I find that when um I think also, you know, I find that cooking some of the recipes that I grew up with, learning how to do it and cooking really grounds me into, uh, in my world. Um, when you are a queer person of color and you have to sometimes leave your neighborhood to become more of who you are, if you don't have those recipes, you don't taste that food anymore. And close isn't it yeah and sometimes close can only make you sadder because it reminds you of what you what you left behind so food food means a lot it uh when i listen to food look at me even say when i listen to food when when i when i'm hearing and when i'm just having experiencing food i can i can hear my grandmother's voice you know when i cook in my kitchen um I actually use knives that came from Japan from my great grandparents, and I still use them. And uh, so, food to me has always just been really, you know, very powerful. It's uh, and also growing up, I was kind of lonely, and you know, I had been bullied as a kid, and so um, food, Laura food, the preparation of food was never threatening to me. It was a place I could go. Mm-hmm. Music is uh, much like food, you know, in, in a lot of ways, with one exception or one addendum to that. Um, being both uh, a person of color and being trans and being queer, a lot of times these things can make it feel that I don't belong and I can't participate in society in the same way. You know, it gets better and it gets worse, but the you know, that's all symptomatic. The problem is uh, there are still, you know, boundaries that we're aware of. And to be able to play music and make another human being cry. If I can play, if I can play a piece, whether it be uh, something from the old country or something from Chopin, and if I can play it and I can make you cry, and I can make you think, and I can make you think of your own family and your own grandmother and, 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 that, and your own missed opportunities, uh, then what does that say about our shared origins as thinking, feeling human souls? So all the other things are just kind of 
it just shows how much those other things are exactly that other things so music um music and food you know if you if somebody loves your food and and loves the tonality and loves the last sound of how you laugh and will be there to comfort you when you cry and all of that kind of stuff i think we're good i think we're good there was two main video game that you talked about in the book mm -hmm. why did you limit yourself to two mm. because well first off we're talking about like you know if we talk about like stargate there literally were places that all they did were have stargates i mean it was very it was a strange time in the 80s where it's like you would just go and then there were places that just had street fighter 2 and fighting games and the and that donut shop would just have street fighters and i have no idea why it filtered in that way but uh it really it really was a thing very very strange time very very strange time um i also by kind of digging into just a couple games here and then just kind of like mentioning a couple of them tangentially i i also did want to um there was almost a, a type of sleight of hand you know how bob ross for example I don't know if you're familiar with Bob Ross painting happy trees. He paints two trees in the foreground. Very little, little friend. But everything else is blurred out in the background to give the illusion of depth. That's exactly what I was doing here. One of my favorite story arcs is the slow burn romance between Shizuka and Lan. <laughs> had you planned this right from the start? And had you planned a lot of your story arcs from the start? And did you follow them or did things change as you started writing them and the characters started speaking to you? I always knew that they were going to somehow be together because being an older lesbian, I want to tell the stories that I want and I want love, damn it. So I'm going to make them fall in line and I want them giddy and I want them stupid and I want all of those things because guess what? It's my damn world and I get to have them. Okay, so um, the but, but the funny thing was I was having a hard time differentiating the two of them because when you think about it they're both kind of mother figures protecting what's theirs on a mission that they really don't want to do and there's doom ahead okay both of them kind of have that going on so i'm writing and i'm thinking how do i separate these characters i can make one butch and i can make one fib yeah just like everybody else no i mean what can we do to to do and then i took them to olive garden they had a fight you know not to olive garden they went to the noodle house and they had a fight at the noodle house And then it's like, gotcha. I gotcha. And it's so strange that I learned how different these characters are after their first fight. And and also I wanted to show with the slow with the romance that they become very different people around each other than they are in their previous. You know, so in the world of the violin, you know, Sizuka is certain way but when she's with Lon there you see things and vice versa and um, I was hoping that my readers that I would do a good job to good enough job to bring my readers to that and um, so far so good I think people have really I've been really grateful yeah that um, we were able to do that together Um, but yeah, so so I had put them together, but the question was, how do I make them separate characters? 
I was doing it in a very clumsy way. But what finally sealed the deal made go, okay, that's what's going on, was was the Noodle House fight. You know, when she says, I didn't think that was important. It's like, oh, crack. You know, and then I'm also, it also helped me reveal a few other things. Like, you know, she's a good can download, read minds and things like that. She doesn't really bring it up too much, but she can. You know, like a wooden box for trading shirt. You know, she can do that. And I wanted to also leave the, leave another thing from Bob Ross. I wanted to like blur the foundations a little bit so you don't really know exactly what Shizuka's powers are or what Lan is actually capable of, you know. It, it, it adds to the air of mystery and also frees it up a lot more as the writer in case you need to give her a power that she didn't give her back then <laughs> just to like make the, make the plot better. <laughs> Can I ask why you gave the aliens a donut shop? Well, because that's what Vietnamese aliens might do in my yeah, in my part of the world. Uh, donut shops are really good for, uh, you know, I was writing about this. The first, a lot of the donut shops in Los Angeles are Laotian. And because um, there was one actual donut king guy from Laos, his name is Tim Goy, Ted Goy, he... Uh, he worked at a Winchell's Donuts, which is a chain, and then learned how to do it and then did it himself. And donuts for a lot of immigrant families are pretty simple because you can point and you can order. You don't need high amounts of language skills. And you can. it becomes a lot of times a stepping stone business into, into other things. And I wanted to... Um, the other things are is if you've ever been to the inside of a donut shop at night and looked out you might as well be on the bridge of a starship it's so beautiful it smells good there are clean seats you know and everything else and there's all this machinery in the back of you and then you look out and you see the lights and it's I don't know, maybe I'm weird, but I think that's one of the coziest feelings in the world. And then if you have like start people playing video games with start with in the background, you can almost think that you are on, you know, this outpost of of, of the galactic empire somewhere and out there is out there. It's uh, I like cozy feelings like that. And if I can give that to the reader, uh, you know, on a day where, um, you know, they might be feeling cozy. I'm good. I want to circle back uh, a bit, please, uh, about Alana and uh, Susika. And how you told it was difficult for you to make them different. Mm -hmm. But after the noodle scene, you kind of gave them the same uh, conundrum. I mean, mm -hmm. Satomi, the queen of hell, is taking soul from children, and Lam think it's despicable. Mm -hmm. She mm -hmm. kind of went to do the same thing later on, and I think that was spot on with uh, Shirley. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. And there's, you know, and it was, this was, this was some of the risk you take as a novelist, you know, I... I'm going to give, if I can, if we make two, if I don't do a good job separating the characters, it's going to read monotonously in the middle, you know, where it's the same thing. But if you notice by making those characters different, 
what I was, well, I shouldn't say notice because that's presumptuous. What I was trying to do by making these characters different is when they were faced with similar circumstances, they made different choices. And through those different choices, the reader could see repercussions of taking door A or taking door B. Because, um, you know, at, at the... Um, at the end, also the other thing too is they can see each other's hypocrisy more way more astutely they can than they can see others. As a trans person, as a queer person, I always do better with other people's parents than I do with my own because they can they have distance, so they help each other uh, because both of their problems are very resonant with each other. But uh, you know. The, you know, Shizuka can call Lon out in a way that she would have never been called out. She would never have been able to see because, you know, this is a mother figure speaking to a mother. And the, the idea of who's really a mother, neither of them are traditional mothers going back and forth. And I was, uh, bec- so I was hoping that they were different enough that you could see them using different choices, but also having two people going through many of the same things allowed them to have the perspective to call each other out. In the beginning when we see Shirley, first of all, you don't realize that she's cybernetic, right? That she's, that the clans made her from her copy of her daughter. Mm -hmm. But also I think Shirley probably thinks she needs to be a dutiful daughter. And it's only when she meets Katrina and Shizuka and then she realizes maybe she has a choice about some things. And I think that mm-hmm. that scene where she sort of takes refuge with them, I think that came out really well. The order of things, you know, how, um, and, and you might have seen this, you know, how um, Asian parents, I shouldn't say Asian, but there are some parents who just feel that it's very, very natural that, you know, their their children are their possessions. You know, this is what you do. This is your role. You marry this person. This is going to happen. We have it all set up. You don't have to worry about anything. And so when, um, you know, so when Shirley runs away and, you know, with, with the music and everything else, I think already by that time, if she hasn't already uh, developed any sort of uh, love for Katrina, it's the music that's gotten and the possibility that's gotten. And I wanted that because then I would have space to build their very um, sisterly love. If you could write a lot more about one character, you don't have limitation and you can do everything you want. Which which character would it be? Hmm. Lucia. Lucia Mattia from the, uh, from the violin store. I think that there's a lot more fun and things that I could have. Uh, the other one that I would write a lot about would be uh, Giselle Tamika Girl, the rival, whose name I now unhooked because, yeah, but yeah, uh, because there's somebody, there's another character that I think I could have a really good time exploring damnation, redemption, love of music, uh if this character gets redemption, you know, we don't, we don't really know. So it would be a very different book. I mean, a book like that, you know, um, 
I would sort of feel like I would almost be channeling, you know, my my uh, inner Anne Rice, you know, may her soul rest right now. But so I can speak. One of the nice things about um, having different genres is I can go a lot of different ways. Um, my next book that I'm writing, which is um, I wouldn't call it a sequel, but it's definitely tangential to this book, um, covers two very minor characters and we're going to go into the wonderful Japanese realm of yokai and things like that. And so we're going to be playing with that. Um, I think when you ask who would, who would I write about, I think I, there's so much I want to do. But back to your original question, Lucia from the violin store, I definitely did. And then the other student, Tamika Grohl, because she's going to make choices that Katrina never would have made. This book that is tangent to uh, to your current one, mm-hmm. is there a, a release date or a... I have to get it into my editor in reasonably sort of wheelbarrow, kind of like complete form by February. And right now I'm about, I'm about 60,000 words into it right now. But, you know, the way I write at 60,000 words into the first draft, I'll probably end up writing closer to 150,000 words and then pull back, which is what I usually do. I'm telling my editor, if I can pull off what I see, we're going to have a really good time. And I'm going to be so happy talking about it. But if there's anything, if you want to ask anything about it and I can answer, let me know. Do we see any characters from the current book? You do. And... But um, again, I'm not going to tell you who. <laughs> well, I just want to know that I will be able to get my hands on it. <laughs> well, it's going to. Thank you so much. Yes, they are. I have. I have. We. Ha, you know, it's like we have the band back together. My beautiful. You know, it's like uh, my beautiful team at Core, who have been so nice to me, have really and really pushed me. They. They. They're supporting me on this one so my editor Lindsay is there you know um I, I I just showed my agent some of the new book and she is going wow so yeah we're happy with that what advice would you give to new writers the first one that's going to come up I guess there's so much but one just came up right every day right every day make it the first thing if you're a morning person make it the first thing you do if you are a night person, you know, it's like make sure that you take the best part of your night and devote it to your writing. It doesn't have to be much, maybe a half hour a day, but just just keep going. Yeah, I'm just going to be really, really simple with that because um, once you get in that habit, I think the other things come pretty, uh, they come pretty logically. Eventually you'll want, you know, you're going to get better if you write every day. Um, I think the other, I guess now I'm going to give another piece of advice for people who are queer, who are people of color, who are women. Um, when you're writing your stories, um, set out at the very beginning to ask yourself, why am I doing the story? What do I want to accomplish? And then when you're writing, 
because so many people will want to speak for us and because sometimes we're going to feel little old me doesn't know as much as other people and because everybody's advice seems so wise it's easy to end up writing somebody else's story so having that little document you keep close to your heart that letter you wrote to yourself at the end of the day can help you keep track of what you're doing with your talent um i think that for me that's made a lot of difference Okay, everybody, so we're in the this or that section, the little city game where our esteemed guests pick this or that. First one, night or day? Right now, day. Summer or winter? Winter. Restaurant or bar? Restaurant, oh, mm-hmm. tea. Oh, I would say cafe, but let's go okay. ahead. Rest- yeah, cafe. <laughs> Cafe, okay, okay. Theater or cinema? Theater. Computer or pen or paper? Pen. <laughs> pen and paper, forever. I like you way more. <laughs> <laughs> Music or silence? Conversation. Somebody else's conversation, listening to all the chatter of the world around me. Ketchup or mustard? I mixed them. Sorry, kill me. (laughs) (laughs) Vanilla or chocolate? Oh, I hate to say this, but vanilla, because I actually, yeah, vanilla. (laughs) And this wrap it up. Can I I add one? Can I ask? Yes. Donut or ice cream? Donuts. I'm sorry. I mean, the, the best thing would I think a giant would be like a giant donut with maybe a scoop of ice cream with the other top of the donut over it. I think would be amazing. But yeah, I'm a, I, I. But the funny thing is, if you had asked me about uh, like you know donuts and potato chips, it would have been a little harder because Ooh. my writing snack is actually potato chips, oh, not donuts. Okay. I'm actually a potato chip eating girl. I'll do this and I'll do that. Thank you very much for today, Rika. It was lovely to chat to you. You're so very welcome. Thank you very much for having me, Camille, Zara. Thank you. (laughs) Thank you for your time. It was a pleasure. Before we finish, do you have any parting words for your readers? I just want to, you know, thank everybody. Really, really, truly thank you for um, letting me into your libraries and into your brain spaces and... uh, and just uh, spending time with my work. To everybody listening, um, thank you very much, and thanks for you know supporting this podcast. And those of us who write, because you know you're under no obligation to read our stuff, and that you do honors us. So I really appreciate it. Happy holidays to everybody. 